Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning again, family. I hope we enjoyed that time of worship and praise. Amen. Well, we, uh, my name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome you again. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. We are starting a brand new series today. Uh, the, the name of that video is called Family Focus. And the name of our new series is called Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family. Now, why are we choosing to do that? Well, because especially in light of what's happening in the world today, I don't know if you've taken notice, but the culture, the values, the morals of our traditional family are being blurred. Anybody notice that happening? It's being blurred. And in my humble opinion, the devil is targeting our children at a younger and younger age. And it makes sense because the younger you can target them, the more confusion you can cause them as they grow up. Has anyone seen this uh, video online? I, I caught this online. I had to just show it to you. Go ahead. The post-millennial reports that an Austin elementary school held a pride parade. It's actually a whole week of festivities for the LGBTQ community, but there's something to it. I'm gonna show you why. This is an elementary school, not a high school, not a college. Austin Elementary School holds Pride Parade, instructs the students not to reveal what is said in their community circles. What we say in this room stays in this room. This is a political strategy that is intentionally designed to silence opposition because you get publicly shamed if you have a problem with it. You get canceled, you get silenced on social media if you're a parent and you come out and have any opposition and say, hey, I don't want the state having these secret sexual conversations with my elementary school student. The state wants to be mommy, the state wants to be daddy, and this is just supposed to not bother anybody? Come on, somebody. Now, what you saw was a gay pride parade, a week of gay pride parades sponsored by the state, the school, in elementary school. Not talking about college or high school. We're talking about elementary. You know how old they, how old they are in elementary school? Five, six, seven years old. And stuff like this is going on all over the country, mostly in liberal areas, but newsflash, Dade, Broward, West Palm, they're all liberal areas, okay? We live in a liberal area where this sort of stuff is going on. I was at my son's, my grandson's birthday party yesterday, and my nephew's wife said, hey, I got a notice from the school wanting permission to put my kid to, for, um, what do they call it, sex education. I said, what? He's in kindergarten. That's right here in Broward County. Now, then they get upset with why parents upset because they just passed the law saying, 
I don't want you to give sexual instruction to my five, six, and seven-year-old. It's called the parental consent law. You cannot, you cannot do it. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The New Living says it this way, direct, help me out somebody, what to say, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Question, who is supposed to do the training and the directing of your children? Turn to someone and say, is you? Is it the state? Is it the government? No. It's not the state, the government, or the county. It's you. And the moment we as parents, as grandparents, relinquish their job, that job, our family, our children become exposed to whatever they decide to teach and then to, see, to keep quiet about it. And that's funny because we always teach our young ones Tell us, because usually when pedophiles, that's what pedophiles say. We're going to talk about this, but shh, don't tell your parents. Isn't that what they do? <laughs> this is disturbing. And so for that reason, over the next few weeks, we're going to be bringing into focus the biblical roles and standards that are the foundations of families that work. Now, many years ago, I was in the military, and and during basic training, often they would assemble the squadron for what they call a roll call. And they would call each person's name, and your responsibility was Amy Thompson here reporting as, as ordered. But if you weren't there, you didn't show up, or you, your name didn't, you didn't answer when your name was called, well, you better have had a good reason not to have been there. Because for the sake of the mission and the team, even from basic training, you are expected to be where you are supposed to be, doing what you are supposed to be doing. And if you went missing for a prolonged period of time, you know what they call that? AWOL, absent without leave or consent. And unfortunately, in today's world, with what's going on in our state, in our country, in our counties, in our community, many parents are what they call, too many people are what I call AWOL as it relates to the issues that are affecting our families and our children. Or the state's got you convinced that they can do a better job than you in terms of moral training. You know what I want the state to do? I want the state to teach the children reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's it. The basics. But they think they can do a better job, and they've got you convinced, and because, they, and because we don't take our place, well, I think the devil is busy. And again, what is he busy doing? He's busy targeting our children and our grandchildren. We need the parents and the grandparents to start standing up and saying, not today, devil. Not under my watch. I've been given a mission, a mandate to, to cover my family and to train them up in the way they should go. And we are going to fulfill the role or answer the, the role call that God has for us. That's the subtitle of this morning's message, role call, role call. And now as you answer that call, as it relates to whatever's going on in your family, let me just say from the very beginning, when you step into your role, 
The goal is direction. You can write this down somewhere. And not perfection. The goal is direction, that you're moving in the right direction and not perfection. Why? Because the truth of the matter is no one's perfect. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. There are no perfect husbands, ladies. <laughs> no lady said, we already knew that. Oh, but there are no perfect wives either. And God knows we all know there are no perfect children. No perfect parents, no perfect grandparents. And so just relax. Because all throughout the scriptures, we see many examples of godly parents who didn't have perfect children. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Who, who were their parents? Who was, his, who was their father? God. Did he have problems with his kids? <laughs> Well, Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I like how the message puts it. It says, a thief is only there to steal and to kill and destroy. I came so that they can have a real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed. I like that passage because Jesus isn't saying that he's come that we can have a perfect life. He's saying that he's come that we can have a better life, that our lives will get better once we've accepted Christ and start submitting our lives to the Holy Spirit. You will become a better husband. You will become a better wife. We will become better parents. Our children will become better. It doesn't stop there. We'll become better workers. We'll become better friends. You'll be a better student all with the help of Jesus in our lives. And as far as I'm concerned, better works for everybody. If things are bad, there's room for improvement, amen? If things are good, they can always be better, right? But it all starts with our focus. We want to focus on Christ, of course, but we want to focus on the family, and we want to answer our roll call. Now, you see, the traditional family, and let me clarify that. When I say the traditional family, I'm talking about biological males marrying biological females. You have to clarify that these days because there's confusion in this area. Did you see that news report <laughs> they, that was on the TV? It said they have decided to put... Uh, Biological transvestite men in all women prisons because they feel like women. Against the advice of the police and everyone else, but that's where our culture is going. They've put 28 in an all-woman's prison, and already two women have come up pregnant. Duh. Now, if I was a biological man and did some heinous crime that I was going to do 25 to 30 years, I might say put a wig on me and lipstick and send me to the woman's prison. Come on, somebody. <laughs> this is what's going on in our county. It doesn't make sense because the roles are getting blurred. Listen, 
The traditional family is not only a good idea, it's God's idea. Amen? And if it's God's idea, he would know best of how the family should work and the parameters it should operate under. Now, concerning our biblical roles, this is what Romans 12, 18 and 19 says. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, listen, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What is it saying? It's saying that we have a role to play, and God only expects us, write this down, to play our roles. The, 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 the husband's not required to play the wife's role, and the wife's not required to play the husband's role, and, and you're not required to do someone else's role. You, the only role you are required to do as far as God is concerned is to play your role. And it tells us how important it is to play our role in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are, are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by the one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So, so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members do what? Care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And so what is he saying? This is your next feeling. It says, basically, every one of us has a part, and your part matters. Write this down. Because you matter. Because you matter. Turn to someone and say, you matter. You matter. Yes. And in this passage, it's specifically speaking of our greater roles in the body of Christ and the fact that we are, we all are needed and necessary, but we all have equally important roles within our family and within our communities, and God expects us to take and assume those roles. Now, in keeping with the military theme, while I was in the Air Force, we, we, all, we, we had what they call uh, orders. And some were specific orders or special orders that we had to obey. In other words, you had to report to a certain duty station at a certain time, at a certain date, and report to a certain commanding officer. But they had what they called also general orders. Someone say general orders. General. 
And the general orders were the basic orders that, that, that everyone had to know and to follow across the board. And they actually, they had us memorize them in basic training. At the time, there was 11 of them. And so I'm just going to give you six, just to give you an idea of what the general orders were in the military, in the Air Force at the time. It says, to take charge of this post and all government property in view. And they would test you on it. They would call you on it. What's, one, what's number one? What's number five? What's number six? To take charge of this post and all government property in view. To walk my post in a military manner, keeping always on the alert and observing everything that takes place within sight or hearing. To report all violations of orders I'm instructed to enforce. To quit my post only when properly relieved. To give the alarm in case of fire or disorder. The number 11 was to be especially watchful at night during the time for challenging and to challenge all persons on or near my post and to allow no one to pass without proper authority. Now, you think about that for a while. I mean, in the Air Force, you're basically protecting planes and properties, and that's how they felt about your position in that. How many know that, that people are even more important than planes and property? Come on, somebody. And your family is more important than, than even that. And, and, and since then, over the years, they've got it down from 11 to just three. This was the three general orders. Number one was I will guard everything within the limits of my post and quit my, quit my post only when properly relieved. I will obey my special orders and perform all my duties in a military manner. And I will report violations of my special orders, emergencies, and anything not covered in my instructions to the commander of, uh, uh, of the team, something along those lines. Instruct my instructions to the commander of the relief. Now, I always thought the 11 were much better than the three that they washed it down to. Well, the Bible gives general orders to every single one of us. We're going to go into specific orders as we go through the series, but for today to lay a foundation, we're going to talk about the biblical general orders that apply to all of us. There are about five of them. I found them in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 25 verses. Let's take a look at them. Ephesians 5.15 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are, help me, those who are wise. And so another word for being careful how you live and not living like a fool is to be circumspect, write that down, circumspect in the way you live. It means to be careful to consider all circumstances and possible consequences. And so if you're going to live carefully or circumspectly or wisely, Biblically, I'm telling you, that starts with the knowledge of God. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you're going to be wise in this life and to take your, 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 your proper place and to do your work, to take your place and, and do what you are called to do, every single one of us has to get to know the Lord. Amen? The Bible says the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, contrary to what the world says. In fact, the Bible says the person who says or neglects the Lord or says there is no Lord, no, no God, 
The Bible says that person is a fool. Psalms 14.1 says the fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Now, why does the Bible call him a fool? Well, because if you can look at obvious design and declare that somehow it made itself, it just happened, the Bible says you're a fool. If you look at a chair and you say that chair created, just happened by itself, you would look and say, that's nonsense. Obviously, someone made the chair. Would you need to know who made the chair? That chair was here before we took the church 20 years ago. I don't know who made the chair, but I know someone made the chair. Amen? If you look at a picture and you look, declare that the picture created itself, that would be foolish. You might not know who painted the picture, but you can look at the obvious design of the picture and, the, and, and you can know with certainty that somebody made that picture. How many of you know that you are infinitely more complicated than chairs and pictures? Come on, somebody. Every single one of us are way more complicated than that, and we have obvious design. And so the scripture says, if you can look at obvious design throughout this universe and declare that it, that it made itself, you are a fool. Now, we have a lot of what I call educated idiots in this world. Yes, they may have their BS and MS and PhD and, and all these other things, <laughs> but if you can have all those degrees at the end of your name and still declare there's no God, you're an educated idiot. Come on, somebody. My pastor used to say the only degree, the only letters that matter at the end of your name is BA, born again. Come on, somebody. Now, why do we want to be careful and walk circumspectly? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he says, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of sufferings you are. So that Bible says we all have an enemy of our soul, and even though he was defeated at the cross 2,000 years ago, did he just lay down and say, you know what, I, I give up? No. The Scripture says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so the Scripture says to stand firm against this person. Stand firm against Satan and be strong in your faith. And then Jesus tells us how we stand firm against him. And, strong, and we remain strong in our faith. We saw it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand and when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house it will collapse and so the difference between the fool and the wise are the ones who take in the word of God and apply them to their lives the Bible says that person's life becomes someone whose life is built on solid rock 
And when those things come against you, you will stand. That is the wise one. But the fool is the person who hears it and lets it go in one ear and out the other. The first general order is that we need to be circumspect in the way we go through this life. Be careful in the way we go through this life. Number two, write this down. Be ready. Be ready. Ephesians 5.16 says, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Let me read it again. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So just like the general orders in the military, we need to read them, listen to me, to memorize them. We need to understand what the word says. The, 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 in 2 Timothy, it uses the word study. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, mightly dividing the word of truth. So when it says study, again, we're not talking about taking a casual glance at the word, allowing it to go in one end, out the other. We're, we're talking about, I'm looking at this so that I can understand what he is saying and apply it to my life. Pro Proverbs 7, 2 says, Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Write them deep within your heart. Now let me give you one more. Psalms 1, 1. The New Living, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. What do they do? Help me, somebody. Meditating on it once a week. What does it say? Not just on Sundays? Does that day and night mean every day? meditating on it day and night. And then it tells us what the result of the person who will take the time to understand what Jesus is saying and apply them to their lives. It says they, will, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves will never wither. They will prosper in all they do. Now, uh, I think you're like me. Anybody want to prosper in all they do? Come on, somebody. I know, I know I do. How does that happen? I take God's word and I write it deep within my heart. One translation, one, one uh, verse says, uh, I, I put his word in my heart so that I would not sin against him. We need to apply God's word to our heart. Get in the habit of not just reading and glancing over scriptures, but actually memorizing or meditating on them so that they can reside in our hearts. Now, you can start with your favorite verse, uh, right? Your life verse. Start with that and start to memorize scripture. The, the problem comes when we forget God's word. And when we forget God's word and we start to stray away from it, well, 
sin then comes and starts to enter the camp. I think it was Aristotle who said that nature abhors a vacuum. Something is going to fill the areas of your life. Something is going to fill that, and it's either going to be God and his Holy Spirit, or it's going to be some other foolishness that the enemy is going to try for you to be running after. And it will make perfect sense, because for some people it makes perfect sense all the nonsense that's going on in this world today. But Jesus said this is what's going to happen in the last day. Because they have no discernment, because there's no foundational truth in their lives, they will reject the truth and they will embrace the lie. They will call evil good and good evil. Now, is this happening all around us? Many of you know that be in prayer because we're looking for a worship leader, right? And, and different positions that we're filling, and I'm getting applications. And so I get an application from a, from a, a, a person, degreed in music, sounds good, um, recovering uh, alcoholic or whatever, some, some drugs. Yes, they admit that, but Jesus set them free. And I always put on the application, I always put there, do you agree with the biblical standards of purity in terms of relationships? Yes. If no, uh, if, if, if yes, um, just go on to the next question. If no, explain. They put yes. They've been leading worship at the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church. And then I get this big, long explanation in the no category. Uh, just so you know, I believe the, the, the current uh, definitions or interpretations of the scriptures on, pur on purity are taken out of context. I am bisexual. I have relationships with men and with women and I believe that God created me this way. Okay. In our world today, everything's getting blurred. They're calling good evil. It's evil to say that's a sin. It's good to make excuses for sin and embrace it and apply it to everyone's life. It's going on all around us. We need to be circumspect or careful. We need to be ready because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I, at that point, the interview was over, just so you know. Number three, be sober. Be sober. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, this is one that many people choose to ignore to the ruin of their own lives and oftentimes to the ruin of their families. Addictions have been ruining lives for thousands and thousands of years. 
And here it talks about wine, but the principle is the same for anything that may take control of your life other than the Holy Spirit. It's alcohol or drugs or gambling or porn. For some people, it's money or women. Listen, the Bible says don't be drunk on anything except Jesus. Come on, somebody. Because Jesus is not going to ruin your life. He's not going to ruin your life. He will make things better. Amen? Let's start to avoid these traps that the enemy is putting down. Hey, it doesn't be, I mean, just a, it's just a little weed. It's just a little this. It's just a little that. Next thing you know, you've graduated into something that is now taking control of your life. Be circumspect, be ready, and be sober. Let me give you number four, fourth general order. Be praising, be praising, or an attitude of praise. Ephesians 5.19, singing psalms, sing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord, where? In your hearts. Let me just read Proverbs 4.23 and we'll talk about that. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So it tells you to sing psalms and spiritual songs and make music in your heart, music to the Lord in, in your heart. And then it tells us to guard our hearts above all else. Why? For it determines the course of your life. And this is one way you can guard your heart. Listen, learn to become a worshiper of the Lord. Amen? Because our worship becomes our warfare. And when, and, and when God wanted to tear down the walls of Jericho, what did he do? He sent out the worship leaders first. He wants our hearts to be filled with worship and with praise. Now, honestly, if we, were to, if we could hear everyone's heart today or this week, what song is on your heart? Or what does it sound like? For some people, it doesn't sound like praise. It sounds like a funeral service. Dun, dun, dun. If out of the heart the mouth speaks, what is yours constantly saying? Is it saying, praise you, Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Or is it saying, let's just call it a day, say three Hail Marys and two Our Fathers and throw the dirt on the coffin? We need to change that. The Bible says to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's the reason we start the service in worship and in praise. Because these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs get deep within our hearts. And when the devil assaults us throughout the week with doubt and unbelief and discouragement and depression, the Holy Spirit has the ability oftentimes to use these songs to, to, to lift us out of the miry clay and to set us on the rock to stay. Has that ever happened to anybody? You're just going through, and then all of a sudden you get attacked. But then some, some, some deep within you, within your heart, those songs that we've been singing on, on the weekend come back to you. It, it's happened to me many, many times, many times when I get those discouraging thoughts. The, last week was, was, was the goodness of God, and I couldn't help but keep singing that song in my heart all week. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Okay, man, come on, somebody. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. 
And I just start singing that over and over again. Before I know it, whatever the enemy's trying to do, no, God is pushing it out by his spirit because I've hidden his word and his songs deep within my heart. Be praising him. Amen? That's foundational. Be praising him. And then lastly, lastly, be thankful. Be thankful. Ephesians 5.20 says, And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me this morning. From time to time, we all have bad moments. This week, during practice, I got a call. As I was coming into worship practice, I got a call. My daughter got in a car accident, my, my youngest daughter. She's okay. Thank you, Jesus. She called. She was in tears. She was, the car got totaled. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Things happen to us that are out of control. But let me tell you something. Bad things happen, but, 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 but they aren't all bad things going on all the time. Amen? And we can always find a way to give thanks. I said, this, this baby, any accident that you can walk away from is a good day. Amen? We can replace things. We just can't replace people. And so we gave thanks to God for the fact that God protected my daughter. I watched the Franklin Graham Easter service after I got home from church on Sunday. And, and he, was, he was, Franklin Graham is Billy Graham's son. And he heads up Samaritan's Purse. And they're over in the Ukraine with, with uh, hospitals and, and relief aid. Well, he decided to do an Easter service from Ukraine, and, and, and they featured the two choirs that sang from the bottom of their hearts in praise and worship to the Lord, and they sang it beautifully. Now, mind you, these were Ukrainians. Is that how you say it? Ukrainians. Their country is being bombed by their neighbors. Many of them were... The, you know, prior to this, they had homes, they had jobs to go to, their kids were in school, they, they, they had you know, things that they did on a weekly basis, all of that gone, and many, and a few of them that were in the, in the, in the choir were refugees themselves. And here they are on Easter Sunday morning singing praise and worship Amen. to our Lord. Come on, somebody. Giving thanks to him. My question to you is, what, a, what about you? What about you? Are you able to, even when you're going through those difficult times, to allow that general order to be praising, to allow it to, to still kick in and be thankful to the God, our Father, for what he's done in our lives and what he will continue to do? Here's a key. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does it say? Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, he says, now put it into practice. And what would be the end result? And the God of peace will be with you. 
Folks, that's a great one to memorize because the enemy is constantly trying to get us off of what God is doing or what God has done. But whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, the Bible says, I'm going to focus on those things. Amen? And I'm going to focus on the fact that we serve a, a God who has ability to make a way even where there seems to be no way. He's a way-making God. He's a wall-pulling-down God. He's a devil-stomping God. He's a giant-slaying God. He has the ability to go in, up, over, around, whatever he has to do. And he says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. Amen? So whatever you are going through, whatever you are going through, you are not going through it by yourself. We can give him thanks and praise. I'm going to give you homework. And that's one I want you to memorize. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. Write that down. And let me give you one more. Proverbs 4.23. We talked about it. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4, 23. Friends, these are your general orders. The roll call that God expects you. This is just the basic stuff. Be circumspect, be ready, be sober, be praising, and be thankful. Amen? And over the next few weeks, we're going to go into the special orders. The role of the fellas and the role of the ladies on Mother's Day and, and, and children along those lines. But we need to start to focus on these things because the more we get into this world, the foolishness is becoming more and more apparent. And we have to answer the roll call. We cannot just sit there and let it wash over us and wash over our children as we're trying to raise them up. It's not their job to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Grandparents, where are my grandparents? How many? I got nine of them. How many, how many grandparents? Your job does not end with just your children. I know you thought it was over. Every now and then the, the kids would say, can, 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 can we bring over the kids? Well, when there was one or two, it was no problem. Now there's nine of them. That's a baseball team. I mean, when are you leaving? That's what I'm like. <laughs> but the responsibility doesn't end. It doesn't end. We've got that next generation. And we need to say, not today, devil. It's not going to happen on my watch. I'm going to do my best not only just to, to point my children into the things of the Lord, to point my grandchildren into the things of the Lord. And understand, the devil is busy because he's targeting them at a younger and younger age for confusion and to bring division in your house. Because now when I say I could just read the Bible, I don't have to add anything to it or take anything from it. I can just read what it says. And in some places, when it says such and such is a sin, they are now calling that hate speech. What used to be sin is now lifestyle choice, even though the Bible doesn't change on it. Come on, somebody. 
and it's, it's, control, it's causing people to be all bound up in all sorts of foolishness. I know, because as a pastor, I've had to minister deliverance to many people who've gotten caught up in all sorts of foolishness because what the world calls lifestyle choice, the Bible calls sin and a wide open door for the devil in your life. The devil doesn't care how he gets in as long as you let him in. And we need to protect our children from opening the doors to demonic activities and strongholds in their lives. Does that make sense? But it all starts with submitting to the love of our souls. And his name is Jesus. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants our lives not to be perfect, but to be better. And all of us can have a better life. Even if your life is going great, it could be better with applying the truths that Jesus taught. He says, it's not those who hear my word, but those who, who do it. The wise are the ones who have taken his word and put them, applied them to their life. And so if you've not yet accepted Christ, if you're listening online, you've not yet accepted Christ, it's not that hard. Let's just start with humbling our heart to him and asking him to be our Lord and our Savior. Forgive us of our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and I thank you for your amazing grace as we sang. I thank you, Lord, for the, for the love that you poured out on all of us by way of taking our place on the cross 2,000 years ago. You had no sin. You died a substitutionary death my sins and the sins of the world for our sins so I acknowledge that today I'm a, I am a sinner I need a savior and I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins come into my life and come into my heart right now fill me with your spirit with your power and your love while every head is bowed and every eye is closed Lord you said my sheep know my voice and hear, and they listen. I am answering the roll call today. I am making a commitment to do my part in covering my family, my wife, my husband, my children, my church, my community. Lord, I want to do my part. Help me. Jesus' name I pray, and we all said, amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast, if you haven't already, and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.